If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Live from London with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. It's Tuesday and we are indeed live and kicking from London. I am Sonia Poulton and this is today's News Talk TNT and welcome to our show. Wonderful to have you with us in whatever spirit that you choose to join us, whether that is via email or X or Instagram or in the live chat. Please keep contacting us just as Paul did. He wrote, keep exposing the corporate controlled government corruption. We will indeed, Paul, absolutely and with relish. Uh, just to say, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20 and 21 at the UK High Court. This was to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. The London premiere of the Trust for Julian Assange will be at the Rio Cinemas on Sunday 18th February at 1pm. The film will be followed by a panel discussion and Q&A with Tariq Ali, Christine Harafnason and hopefully Stella Assange. To find out more, go to Google and search for the trustful Julian Assange London premiere. And you know why? Because we are lighting the fuse for freedom because this is today's news talk TNT and with that said I want to begin on a somber note actually I last week I responded to a Twitter message and the person was asking me to look at a TV program which is getting a lot of attention in the UK and it's about police under investigation well Unknown to me, the very campaigner who had first educated me on this issue had died literally just days before that. And I want to send love to the family and loved ones of campaigner Michael Doherty, who died last week of a heart attack while running in Spain. Now, I've interviewed Michael numerous times about his campaign against police corruption. I wrote about his experience in the Daily Mail years ago, and I even joined him and other campaigners about 10 years ago in Hyde Park for a stunt to raise awareness of criminal cops. And uh, have a look at a clip. We said we were sweeping up the yard in reference to Scotland Yard, which is the hub of the Metropolitan Police. This was in April um, 2014. And when I last interviewed him last year, we reflected on speaking up all those years ago and before the Met Police fell under the spotlight with their murderous cops, including Wayne Cousins, who murdered Sarah Everard. And Michael reminded me, he said, we are the canaries in the mine, so to speak. And I completely got what he meant. Michael was an aircraft engineer. He, as I say, was one of the very first people to alert me to the problems of the Independent Office for Police Conduct. He experienced direct targeting and harassment at the hands of British police officers at the Metropolitan Police, and he knew absolutely that the system needed to change. His own personal journey began when he discovered that his young teen daughter was being groomed online by a cop from the Metropolitan Police. After this, a dawn raid was conducted on Michael's home. His door was battle rammed in and he was dragged from his home by police 
um, from the same force. They said he had harassed the cop. He denied it. He was never charged. But that started his journey because he'd gone from being this fairly mild-mannered aircraft engineer to someone who had been on the sharp end of police brutality. And he was like, something's very wrong here. And he continued campaigning and highlighting the problems with the Met Police and the IOPC. He never stopped. He once likened the police to the mafia and said they were the biggest gang in London. Michael Doherty was a brilliant man, a brilliant campaigner, years ahead of the curve. Rest in peace, Michael. You did important work and you are appreciated. There will be a Sunday Mass this coming Sunday at St. Catherine of Alexandria RC Church, West Drayton in Middlesex. Thank you, Michael Doherty. Thank you for raising awareness when it was so sorely and much needed. And uh, we talked last week about how more regions in the UK are adding fluoride to their tap water. Well, I, I don't know if, if you're aware, but there is a Florida lawsuit going on at the moment. And I've been following that. And it's absolutely fascinating. And one woman known as the lovely Brenda on X uh, is actually suing over water fluoridation. So I am watching that with great interest because obviously, as Gemma Cooper updated us last week, we, are, we have now been adding more fluoride to more water regions in the UK than ever before. And I wonder why that could possibly be. And this, of course, is the moment when we bring in Gemma. Be back shortly. Conversations to inform and include. It's meant for everyday people to understand. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is indeed today's News Talk TNT. And this is Gemma Cooper. Hello, Gemma. How are you today? Yes, very well. Thank you, Sonia. And interesting to hear about that campaigner uh, who sadly uh, died of a heart attack because, you know, taking on the police as an individual, uh, and we, we have so many stories now coming out about the levels of corruption, not just in the map police, but, you know, forces world, uh, UK wide. And um, that, store, that uh, show you're talking about, the uh, Avon and Somerset police, you know, to catch a copper looking at corruption within their ranks, you know, it won't just be that force, it will be all the forces. And interestingly enough, uh, that program itself, the chief constable, of Avon and Somerset Police since that uh, program has aired. Uh, she has received so much um, uh, abuse, I guess you could say, from within uh, the, the policing ranks. You know, people saying that they are so disappointed the program was made. How dare she open the doors and let people see behind the scenes of policing? Um, uh, allegedly, officers at the force are considering resigning. They're so disappointed at her behavior. She is the chief constable. You know, she's the boss uh, and she can do what she wants. Um, but it's interesting that the, the, the lid has come off this particular force it won't just be this particular force though um and and the officers are basically saying why don't you just keep your mouth shut and don't let everybody see what's going on uh, criticism has come you know not from the public but from within her own rank and file it so it's quite extraordinary it is quite extraordinary because the thing is we need to build back trust with the police and the only way really to do that is a degree of transparency which is what she's offering it's interesting though isn't it that she's getting abuse from within her ranks it's sort of entirely predictable sadly but more power to her elbow frankly let's let's have a whole series of programs all around the uk looking at police force in fact all around the world because i'm pretty sure this is echoed throughout the world Gemma. police corruption is police corruption really isn't it yeah, and it's been protected. I think this is now indicative. I think we touched on this last week that this is not a new thing. It's just been hushed up over decades and millennia, you know, those in power abusing those who don't have any power. You know, the uniform gives you power. The position gives you power. The power corrupts, you know, as we're clearly seeing within within police forces in the UK. And as you rightly say, it won't just be in forces in the UK. It will be it will be worldwide. Um, I remember once I was traveling in India and uh, 
And I did something pretty stupid. Well, it was a stupid thing. I, me and my friend, we stayed up very late. We couldn't get a taxi back. We'd had a bit too much to drink and we were out on the streets and the, a police van drove past us full of Indian officers and they were saying, oh, we'll give you a lift back. And I thought, I don't think I'm going to get in that police van. And we, we kind of made our own way home. But it was it was a touch and go moment of I thought, you know, what's going to happen if we get in here? Because you hear all about corruption in third world countries of, of money and bakshish. And it's, 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 the, it's the position of power. It's power that's the problem, isn't it? And it's the so-called authority that the uniform conveys when, you know, it's actually policing is done in this country, at least by consent. Policing is by consent. It's a, it's an inversion. We actually have the power. We we consent to be policed, but you know it's not been that way for a very long time. But let's hope that you know these revelations mean that things are changing. Funnily enough, the story I was uh, going to bring to the table, and I will bring to the table now, is about policing. Uh, just before uh, we came on air, we were talking about synchronicities, weren't we? And um, I think this is a classic example of that because I didn't know you were going to be talking about that campaigner. Um, but I am looking at a report that's just come out, just been published. Uh, today that's talking about the the fact that policing is irrevocably broken down trust in policing is broken down and it's calling for another almost 20,000 new recruits on top of the 20,000 new recruits into the police force that Boris Johnson uh, sanctioned when he was the prime minister here in the UK they say we need at least another 19,000 possibly another 20,000 to restore public confidence. Now, the Home Secretary has backed this report. Um, he addressed as his, his first time as Home Secretary a few weeks ago, all 43 chief constables of, of all our different forces here in the UK. And he said he wants to bring back community policing, proactive policing, you know, which is like preventative policing. It's not just reacting to criminal events. It's preventative policing within communities, identifying who needs to be kept an eye on, working with communities to, to kind of stop crime before it happens, that kind of policing. Um, but this report is saying we need many, many, many more officers uh, to do that. Um, we're still 10% down on the amount of officers we had in 2012, um, and the public do not feel safe. The report is called Back to Basics, uh, calling for a new neighborhood policing uplift program focusing on community crime. It's also calling for pop-up police stations within town centers that can be mobile. Uh, it's sinister here. It's also calling for greater use of facial recognition technology mm -hmm. to prevent uh, crime occurring. I'm not so sure we'll agree with that one here. Um, and the whole cost of this for 3,000 officers, 10,000 police community support officers, which are kind of like a step down from police constables, and 6,000 special constables. The whole cost of that will be £600 million a year, uh, at which they are advocating is paid for as a one-off <clears throat> council tax payment, which is a local authority charge levied here in the UK, and part of that does pay for policing already. So they're saying just a one-off payment to the taxpayer, 45 pence a day for more officers. So yeah, this report's come out. The Home Secretary wants to back it. He wants to endorse it. He wants to action it. Of course, we're in an election year. He would do that. Uh, that is a, it is a vote winner in the UK, uh, bringing back the Bobby on the beat. It was such a factor of my childhood. I'm sure yours as well. You know, the police officers used to come into schools and sit down with the kids in primary schools and get to know them. You know, that's all gone. Uh, and I think it, many people would like to see that classic Bobby on the beat return, uh, whether or not he's got enough time to bring in 20,000 more officers before the general election is called. I'm not so sure, but uh, certainly this one would be a vote winner, I think. I mean, there's so much there to unpack, Gemma. First of all, I don't want to pay any more money for police. I think I pay quite enough tax for all of these services to be covered. So I wouldn't be personally happy with that. But also look how fast and loose the government plays with, with 
police force numbers because it was Boris Johnson when he was mayor of London who got rid of thousands of police. And uh, and that was around about the time when the riots happened, the British riots, which was when obviously the coalition began, David Cameron's coalition. I think that was 2011. And uh, Boris Johnson's response to that was to bring in water cannons, even though he'd gotten rid of all these police and was closing down stations. He, his, uh, his route to dealing with rioting was to bring in water cannons. So um, there wasn't too many bobbies on the beat then, but look at that the, in the round, how they, they've then added numbers. They, they add and they subtract backwards and forwards, don't they, to make it look like they're actually doing something. I think one of the biggest problems we have is, which we talked about at the start of this, is our is our lack of faith and trust in police because the police force has been so seriously damaged with all various revelations, whether that's police having themselves, you know, taking pictures of themselves with dead bodies, as they did in the case of two sisters in a West London park, or sending WhatsApp messages. We had a police whistleblower on the show a few weeks ago. He was actually the one responsible for whistleblowing on these awful WhatsApp messages, which were talking about sort of race and murder of people amongst police and it's so it's really difficult isn't it all the Wayne cousins obviously who murdered Sarah Everard so it's really difficult I wonder if numbers can help that really what they need is a proper good PR drive I don't know what, what's the solution Gemma well, I, I don't know what the solution is. You know, I can only bring the the facts to the table this morning as this, this report has come out and they really do want to action it because they are so aware that public confidence in policing is almost irrevocably broken down in some communities. Um, but it's interesting, like, you know, will it solve the, the cultural problem of those types of behaviours? And I've talked about this at length, especially over the last few weeks on different TNT shows, UK shows about the state of policing. And one of the questions I've posed uh, to, to other presenters is, you know, is, is it that they recruit these types of people who lack basic empathy and compassion for, you know, that they would do things like that, you know, take those photographs and have WhatsApp messages. Do they recruit those particular types of people? Or once you're recruited, do they train you a certain way so that you you lose that part of yourself and you become a bit more kind of, you know, the uniform and uh, it, it speaks volumes and you become a little bit less empathic, a little bit less compassionate, and it forms part of your training, much like when you join the army, like your training is you just do what you're told. That's it. No more thinking for yourself. You just do what you're told. It's a difficult one to kind of gauge because mm -hmm. certainly when we were doing the freedom rallies in London, the behavior of some of the police officers then or people that had been drafted in to work with the police was quite, quite sort of uh, worrying, really quite, uh, you know, sociopathic. Some people were saying um, you wonder, is that are they looking for those traits or do they train them into you? Can it be trained into you? I don't know if these are all questions that are up for debate. So whether or not 20,000 extra officers solves those cultural problems, I don't know. Um, it seems it's quite endemic uh, force wide here in in britain i think it's six of one and half a dozen of the other i've worked with some brilliant cops i mean absolutely brilliant cops who entered the force because they wanted to do good they wanted to make society a better place and i i think that sometimes good people like that they stare too long into the abyss and then the abyss starts to stare back at them so i think that does happen but i also do think as you say i think to a degree there are some types who are attracted to it they love the authority they love the uniform they love th feeling that you are in control i don't know about you you were talking about the bobbies on the beat when you were a child but it's only up until recent years that i've stopped feeling guilty when i'm around police because there is there was a, there's an air about police <laughs> i've never done anything criminal but and there's an air about police where you automatically feel what have i done and it literally is only in the last few years that i've started not to feel like that have you ever felt like that 
Yeah. And you know what? A police officer once told me, he said, we can tell straight away if somebody is, is innocent or, you know, if we arrest someone or if we're, we go to interview someone, he said, because if you start acting really, oh my God, what have I done? Oh my God. They know straight away they haven't done it. It's the criminals that go, yeah, what? What you want about, you know, the cool, calm, collected. They know there's something suspicious. It is a natural response to authority if you haven't done anything mm. to think, oh, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble because that's how we're programmed from school. You know, teacher says what, well, you know, you teacher says jump, you say how high. So that's how they gauge your kind of like, uh, you know, authenticity if you do have that feeling. So it's a natural, normal feeling. And, and that is part of their training. If you get all flustered and nervous, they think, oh, yeah, they're all right. If you're all calm and collected. They, their, their suspicions are raised. So, you know, keep with that feeling, Sonia. You're on the right track there. Thank you, everybody. This has been Tuesday's edition with Gemma Cooper. I'll be back shortly. TNT's Steve Malsberg. If a president could be prosecuted for things he did, which he believed and was advised by his lawyers, what, what was, was the duty of the president to do, and then after the fact, after he's president, he could be prosecuted... The example has come up today many times. Well, when Joe Biden leaves office, he could be prosecuted for not securing the border. Barack Obama um, okayed drone strikes against American citizens overseas. He could be prosecuted for murder. I mean, this opens up a whole can of worms. Um, Pandora's box, I think, is the term that, uh, that Trump used. Steve Malzberg on today's News Talk TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live. The human mind is like a computer, no matter how efficient it may be. Its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. You are indeed. This is TNT, today's news talk. And thank you for being with us on Tuesday. I'm just looking at some of your comments after what Gemma is discussing about adding to the police numbers. Mogden rightly points out that common purpose training is in effect. They are taught that we're the enemy. If anybody's not familiar with common purpose, it's in many respects similar to a Freemasons. It's a it's a, it's a quite secretive club. They don't like to talk about it too often, but uh, certainly the last commissioners of Metropolitan Police, which is the largest police force in England and Wales, um, she was a common purpose trained individual. So that is quite common. Absolutely. And uh, I agree, Gemma, it has changed and they take both because they can break the ones with good intentions, says Mazzy. I agree, Mazzy. I do think it is, you know, halfy, halfy. I do think that there are good people who enter the police force and sometimes they get broken by what they see. And sometimes people are just attracted to it because they're already thugs and they just want that uniform to be able to put some authority on it. I am delighted this morning to be joined by Craig Tipple. Craig, I've talked with before. He runs the rant till we can't substack. He's a commentator. Craig, you once spent six years in China. Why did you do that? Good question. Um, I actually did that because I was led in Chinese at university. Uh, so I went across. Um, but I think it's a good idea to venture out away from your, <clears throat> away from your home country, home culture, and uh, get some yeah. experience. 
overseas yeah, yeah absolutely i agree i agree with you and we've talked before about that experience and thank you for being with us today we appreciate that and i right. think that your experience overseas has really enabled you to be informed about a great deal that is happening here because obviously it's very globalist you've written a lot about the sort of globalist structure the 15 minute cities the world economic forum digital id etc cetera, etc cetera. and i want to start off with a topic that you have written also about and that is ULES, ultra low emission zone. Of course, London is primarily the test bed for such a thing. Well, on Sunday, 400 people took to the streets across Sutton in South London, which is literally just down the road from me. And uh, they, they covered up about 80 ULES cameras. And ULES regulations basically mean that drivers of non-compliant vehicles have to pay a daily charge of £12.50 just across London, as, as I said to Gemma Cooper last week, some people are literally having to pay 24, 25 pound to drive out of their gates and across London. It's absolutely outrageous, isn't it, Craig? What do you think about the ULES cameras? Um, it's nice of you to call the rant till you can't substack writing. I tend to just rant. I find it therapeutic, actually, to write about <laughs> this stuff. And I think I think um, in China, you pointed out it was in China, but I think in China, I realized what pollution was. You're driving along on a motor, uh, well, I was either a little e-bike, and you can see about 200 yards in front of you, well, all around you, you're sort of in a, a ball um, where you can see you've got visibility, and beyond that, it's just white mist. And obviously, um, when you go, it goes with you, so you're actually in that mist. It's a bit of a trick of the eyes because you, you're breathing it in. And when you look down in London, or I even look outside of my own door, um, there is no visibility issue. So I don't I don't think that there is necessarily a problem with pollution. I think it sounds just like another money-making scheme, doesn't it? Um, and everything that we're seeing now just seems to be built around impoverishing us one way or another. And that's what I was ranting about, I suppose, in the Substack. Um, so with ULES, I think if people recognise that um, it's a lie, um, they can either keep being stung by these fines, knowing that it's contributing towards something else, maybe Ukraine, maybe um, one of the other issues that um it's like a cage around us um and and you're either going to pay them or you're going to stop it and so i i think it's great that people are going out and stopping it well i hold on to your seats you talk about it being a money-making scheme the extension yeah. the expansion to ULES, which was launched last august 29th between august 29th and september the 30th so that was considered a month it made 23.6 million pound in the first month the ulez scheme and the estimate for the first year is 300 million and uh, but they say that income from the pollution cutting scheme is expected to be negligible by 2027 of course we don't believe that at all because Craig, it is absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? it? It's this idea that if you can afford to pay you, Les, you can still drive your car. How does that help in pollution? So it's yeah, not, is I'm, it? It is. It's about money, isn't it? It's about dividing us again. The can, the haves, and the have-nots. There's, there's been so many. It, it's quite clear when you start, um, when you, when you realise about the division, because since 2020, um, that's all it seems to have been. There's been one issue or another about division, because if we're not. Um, if we're not exchanging information, which I think is probably the evolutionary thing, isn't it, where we started coming together and living together in societies, we started exchanging information. Like, for example, a lot of people work 40 plus hour weeks, so they 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 probably spend the first thing in the morning, they go out the house, they come back late at night, they don't have any energy, they switch on Netflix or, they, or your one flick news like BBC or Sky News. 
So they only get access to information um, from one source, essentially. Whereas I do value the fact that I went to China because I think if, if like a team, for example, if you had a team, if that's what our country was, then you'd want every member of the team to go out and, and get different experience, different knowledge, bring it back, put it on the table, and then you exchange views. But we don't do that anymore. And there's been a uh, an intentional, um, it seems like it's been intentional to, to stop us from exchanging information. You get a label instead. So if you're looking up at the sky and, con and you're concerned about what you're seeing up there, you'll get a label um, you know, associated to you and then people can dismiss you. Um, and it's the same with you, Les, if you talk about that 26 million, did you say it was? I mean, first of all, I, I have no idea where that's going. I don't know. What it's, it's just huge, on. isn't it? 23, 23.6 23 million. million. Yes. In that first right, month. Okay. Yes. Huge, absolutely huge amount of money. Yeah. It's probably funding the planes. Um, that yeah. uh, <laughs> that would take them yeah. to WEF. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> To talk about reducing our carbon footprint. Absolutely. Of course, we cannot forget that Sadiq Khan, the ultimate eco-green fascist, is mayor of London and absolutely behind this scene. And he is, of course, also the co-chair of C40 Cities, which is a worldwide uh, sort of conglomerate of like-minded eco-fascists who are all coming together under this green movement. But, you know, the thing is, obviously, we cannot be seen to be promoting the destruction of these cameras in any way whatsoever, because that could be considered criminal incitement. So we're not going to be saying that. But, you know, there is a, I do understand why these people are doing it, Craig, do you? Of course I do. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you strongly believe something based on, I mean, the reality that we see around us is based on the information we get. That's just part of being human, isn't it? And so being able to control that information and have everybody reach the same conclusion is something I've seen uh, or something I've been led to believe that the media is doing, for example. Um, but if people actually have first-hand experiences in life that contradict what the media is telling them, which is something in 2020 that seemed to snap me out of some kind of spell and made me start looking at things in a brand new light, um, then a lot of people, of course, just for reasons of self-preservation, are going to want to try and act against what they perceive as a threat. So if you're yeah, I, I can kind of, I, I can definitely understand why people would go out there and think, no, this is not right, this is wrong. Um, but of course, there are a lot of people that still do primarily watch. Um, then you get their news from maybe the TV rather than first-hand experiences or having a chat with the countrymen, um, and so they will then be led to believe that these people are somehow some kind of terrorists because they're going out. And so, no, I can completely understand where they're coming from, and and I uh, I, I think it's a good thing. Right. We will be back in a second. We're just going to go to Matt Boyland with the headlines and uh, be back shortly. What's happening? What's happening? News flash. TNT Radio News. Hey. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Australia has sounded the alarm over Israel's planned ground offensive in the southern Gaza city of Rafah. The White House is once again being called out for its hypocrisy after President Joe Biden joined TikTok, despite previously banning the Chinese-owned app on government devices, declaring it a national security risk. And over a dozen people have been injured in a massive explosion that ripped through an amusement park in Sweden. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. 
I'm here today with Craig Tipple, social and political commentator, and we're looking through the news, as it were. And one of the stories that caught my eye was, and I'm going to read the headline, shamed GP who was suspended for illicitly prescribing drugs to herself and her family is allowed to work again after she attended truthfulness retreat. This is Dr. Julia Piper. She had been banned for nine months by GP disciplinary tribunal. Her suspension was revoked. And uh, she was said to have prescribed herself medication and to relatives. And she was sent on this truthfulness retreat. Now, Craig, I don't know about you. Have you ever heard of doctors being sent on a truthfulness retreat? Because if so, there's a whole lot of doctors who should have been sent there for lying about COVID, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I think, like I've just uh, mentioned there, it does sound very Orwellian, doesn't it? The truthfulness retreat. I think when information is controlled, as a lot of people suspect that it is, then truth becomes quite subjective, doesn't it? Um, you know, I think I think like you've just said, a lot of people should have been uh, sent on the truthfulness retreat with COVID. There was a doctor that made about 40 grand in a weekend, wasn't there? Um, so is he going to go on a truthfulness retreat now? Is his boss going to go on a truthfulness retreat? Um, can you remember that story? That guy, he's a relatively young doctor because I think was he, he got commissioned. Oh, that was the jab incentive scheme, right? Is that what you're talking about? That's yeah. So you got incentivized, didn't you, to give out jabs? Um, but I think with doctors, surely they'd be asking questions about what it is. I think most of the people that were given those didn't even know what it was when they're injecting it. So they, I don't think that was truthful, though, because I think when you're injecting that into a patient, I don't think they were saying, oh, I have no idea what this is. I haven't got a clue. Um, so perhaps that could be something that they could go on a truthfulness retreat to sort out. Well, there's plenty they could go on a truthfulness retreat to sort out, honestly. <laughs> but the more I looked into the story, the more curious it became, Craig, as you say, Orwellian, because it turns out that Dr. Piper is actually, she's involved in a scheme which aims to collect the UK's largest body of evidence about the safety and efficacy of medical cannabis. Now, as somebody who once received an Ofcom for promoting medical cannabis, and proudly so, actually, um, I've looked into this subject quite extensively over the years. And what I do know is while the British government exports large amounts of medical cannabis, there are still great legal issues surrounding it. And I wonder if in some respects whether she was targeted, because don't tell me she's the only doctor self-medicating, right, or self-prescribing. Mm -hmm. And yet she's been held up in some way. And it's very interesting because they've really demonised her character, haven't they? In this article that you and I have both read, it's all about her being untruthful and you can't trust her and all this stuff. Do you think there can be a degree of being targeted because she's behind a huge initiative to do with medical cannabis? Well, I think being targeted is something that is, is, is completely normal now, isn't it? People are being targeted if they're not giving the right message. Um, that That's just common sense now. We can all see that. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case, uh, Sonia. I think um, cannabis uh a lot of cbd oil that's that's part of um uh, cannabis based medicine isn't it cbd oil and things like that yes and a lot of people are um perhaps it's anecdotal um i've not looked into the actual um published results or anything but anecdotally a lot of people say that it is very effective i'm not sure how much money it makes for people further down the line so maybe that's a problem um so yeah I, I, anything that's natural anything that's you know herbal anything that's not making people a lot of money, I imagine it is something that they'll target people for. 
Well, what was interesting at the time I was making a film called The Business of Cancer, and I actually interviewed several people who were self-treating themselves with um, cannabis oil and uh, this thick, black, gloopy substance that they were taking. And at the time, the British um, government were just refusing to move on the issue. And yet Theresa May, who was the prime minister, her husband was earning a great deal of money from exporting cannabis at the time. But, you know, that is the great hypocrisy of our age, isn't it? It's just like, you know, you little people don't be doing this, but we, we can do it. And uh, and I think, you know what, yeah. I think that disparity we're all so sick of now, aren't we? Of course we are. Um, I know it's slightly separate to the topic that we're discussing, but I know recently with King Charles, the issue around cancer and things like that. And then I read that he's, he favours sort of natural remedies. He favours herbal remedies and holistic re well surely that's what people are doing when they engage with with uh, cannabis based medicine so again it's okay for some but it's not okay for others because of course they're making a lot of money from prescriptions and things like that aren't they is it is a commission based um, with prescriptions because that's something that i've now sort of been led to believe that I don't know is the short answer i'm sure somebody will tell us in the comments but highly likely because yeah. everything else is right yeah, because I was listening to um, Dr. Azim Al-Hotra at one point, and he was talking about some kind of abandonment of evidence-based medicine, where rather than being able to just sit with somebody and have a chat with them and find out, well, what would benefit you? What is your issue? And what could, not thinking about the money or anything like that, thinking about what would be good for the patient. Um, evidence-based medicine, apparently that's what they get trained in. But um, if there was something that's relatively cheap and doesn't make a lot of money for pharmaceutical companies, I imagine they they would target that, as, as we're discussing now with this doctor, perhaps. Mm, it's it is really tricky it's really funny at the same time that i was just telling you about Theresa may holly was also putting it in the comments see you know don't you holly you do absolutely know but it is i mean the thing is there are so many issues attached to it and uh, as i say when i made my film the business of cancer i actually traced back to the the start of the demonization of cannabis and it was around about the same time of course when you know um iotrogenic um, medicine was coming through and you know and, and all the big the big schools and the Rothschilds were all coming through with the medicine and everything and the demonization of course was about how it drives people crazy and all these different things well you know as I say I interviewed people who were self-treating themselves and were living longer than the life expectancy they were given if they were doing you know radiation or chemotherapy or any of those things which play absolute havoc on the body so you know it, it's not it's not good really the the attacks on our body and we're not allowed natural products right we're not allowed natural products because and also the products that they do allow the medical um cannabis through the government some of that's really weak as anything right what are you just going to say craig I was just going to, I was just thinking about the um sort of millennia I have however long of, of worth of discovery um and advancement in in sort of natural herbal medicines that our ancestors probably um developed over that period of time the only thing we seem to know now is just whatever the doctor gives us with a with a label on it from a pharmaceutical industry. I imagine there's so much about herbal and natural medicines that we've just lost uh, or rather have been stolen the that information about it the knowledge about it um so I would certainly, if I was in a difficult position um, where I had to choose between something like chemical that just annihilates your body and then the the, the resulting, um, the way you look after you have that annihilation of chemicals is then used as a, as a campaign to promote to promote it because then it's uh, yeah, I, I've, I understand that from cancer, I could be wrong with you and I'm, and I'm rambling, but I, I, from my understanding, and you can correct me if I am wrong, um, is that when people look terrible, 
associated with cancer is it is it usually the result of having the chemotherapy is that 100 100 absolutely it has a devastating impact on the body and then that image uh after that annihilation is used to say look at cancer look how terrible it is um and, and and it is obviously but they use the image of what the chemicals do in order to promote it it seems to be my my perception so i think i would just go for herbal as well but that's my own personal view understood absolutely understood so just talk to me just before you go because one of the things that we, we've talked about is rallying the troops the importance of rallying the troops and you had mentioned to me in a comment about these worldwide protests obviously farmers protests and you you were saying about how we need to do more we need to become more engaged in the uk expand on that for me i i just get frustrated um <laughs> and and i think that comes across as well in in my tweets sometimes and, and on my substack when i'm typing it um it's it's just that brett i think i'm sure it was the chat with brett weinstein and tucker carlson i think brett weinstein mentioned um something called turnkey tyranny if i remember correctly and and i think it was um he's just referring to this uh, idea that a system is built around you but you don't know it's being built around you and then one day the t's the, the key is turned and that is and that was when you break out of it and realize that there's tyranny all around you but there's nothing you can do because the system's already been built around you and i think at the moment I, speaking personally there's very little I can do. I do what I can. I've, I'm, I'm building a web application at the moment to try and promote people growing their own produce and exchanging it with each other and stuff like that. And that's what I spend most of my time doing. But I wish there's, there was more I could do. And I'm, I'm just wondering, there's probably millions of people out there just like me who think I'm working a 40, 50 hour week or whatever. And I can't do anything because if I stop working, I get punished. If I'm not paying this particular arbitrary right. bill, I get punished. And they probably want to join maybe the farmers and, and and stand up and say, no, I agree with this, but they just can't because they're locked in. So I just I just wish that there was some kind of mechanism that allowed people to just stop and down tools when they realize that what they're funding with their taxes is actually harmful for them and their kids. Um, and if they could just stop, but they can't because there's a system built around them. And if they stop, they'll be punished. And that's the thing that frustrates me, I think. Well, at least you've got that out there into the ether. So hopefully that will start a rolling effect. <laughs> Good. Get it off your chest. This everybody is Craig Tipple. He is a writer of the rant till we can't substack. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on Cheers, TNT, Frank. Craig. Have a fantastic Tuesday. Take excellent care of yourself. I'll be right back. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Joe Biden is fortunate that Pinocchio is a children's story and not reality, for if it were... His nose would be so long it would stretch not to the moon, not to Mars, not even to Jupiter, but to Pluto and back. Joe's been an inveterate liar his entire life. He lies as though lies were the very oxygen he needs to survive. And now he's told the biggest lie of all, that until November, Americans will know that the border is open because of Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. No, Joe, the border is open because the people that are running you want a permanent Democrat governing majority, and they think that this is the way to get it. It's not. We're going to put an end to all of this, and as the president promised, we're going to see the most amazing and massive deportation effort in American history. We want immigration, but you gotta come here legally. If you're here illegally, there's the door and out the door you go. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk. 
TNT. I'm Belinda, and this is Willard, and we were adopted in 2021. When we first met Todd, he was singing a song, and I was like, wow, look at this kid with the biggest smile, <laughs> and he has a big heart to match. The energy you give Todd, you get it back from Todd. Yes. Todd's a joy. Yes, Todd's is. really is a great joy. I love him. <laughs> you and you. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Live from London with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. Now, last week on this show, Gemma Cooper extensively covered the issue of dentists in crisis in the UK. A number of dentists contacted me as a consequence of her brilliant reporting. And one of the things that Gemma reported on was about the scenes outside St. Paul's Dental Practice in Bristol, where something like 1,500 potential patients were registered for NHS treatment in two days. And it became one of the big defining images of the week. And many people have branded it as a sort of visual representation of the dentists in crisis in the UK. Well, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by JD. Now, we have hidden her um, identity simply because she's still a dentist and whatever she says at this moment in time is whistleblowing, but she feels the need to do so. And I greatly appreciate you doing this, JD. Welcome to the Sonia Poulton Show. Hi, uh, you okay? Yeah, thank you for having me too. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. I, you know, we need more whistleblowers. That's absolutely what we need. And we completely understand why we need to keep your identity hidden. Now, you, um, you're upset about so many things, but let me just give people an understanding of your background. You graduated in 2009 um, and you were weary about the NHS. On, well, quite quickly, really. You, but you had no choice to stay in the NHS full time. And one of the things that you said to me in one of your earliest letters was, I discovered the nature of how the NHS works. Cheap materials, all on a shoestring budget, covering dodgy dentists, dentists working for free, and on and on. Tell us about it, JD. Yeah, so that's pretty much um, the way it started. Um, I, I, So when we graduate, we have to do like a VT year. So you're under the NHS, you're doing that for a year um, because you're fresh out. Your salary is hardly anything because it goes to the trainer a little bit which I understand that and that wasn't that was a good year of ex experience building before before um I graduated a, a while ago when we were a lot younger it was like fee per item so the way dentists used to get was uh, get paid was they get paid for everything they did um so it seemed like it, it it was a method that worked it kept a lot of the dentists in the business um, it kept a lot of the dentists happy. It gave them a lot more time to be actually doing what they need to do. And then somebody came with this bright idea of the UDA system that we all are getting to know about. Um, and then this is where they, they the NHS seem to believe, and they know it's a flawed system, but the NHS are still being very resistant, even though they've had so many complaints from us, from us guys to say, this is not working. It's such a flawed system. They won't. They only add more bands. They don't actually change it back to where how we would like, which is the fee per item, and a lot more support for us dentists is what we're after. So um, the UDA system, there's still methods of cheating, and I see it all the time. The NHS are aware of the fraud that gets done within the within the UDA system, and um, it's it's like a it's almost like a punishment. Um, at the end of the tax year, you're you're left with this target that you agreed to, to to complete a certain number of units throughout the whole year. If you're behind, you get you have to you get a claw back, it's called. So you have to give a certain amount of your your salary back. Um so 
I, I think where they believe it's not a flawed system, it's it's uh, they know it is. They just don't want to. They don't want to. They don't want us to be earning what we were earning, which was something that made sense. Um, right. It just yeah. So they're disincentivizing dentists. Well, so this is starting to make some sense here because a lot of people don't understand why people train to be NHS dentists and then go into private practice. So you, mm. you, you talked to me about burnout, right? You left dentistry yeah. just before COVID. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I was doing so. Um, so as I graduated, I was on five days. Um, I noticed that the salary, if I if I went permanent, I think I only did permanent for about a year and a half. Um, my salary was horrendous. I ended up in a lot of debt because of the UDA system. I was then um, got, I went down the locum route because you know you know what you're going to get by the end of it. But a lot of these corporates, they tend to agree on a particular day rate for you to come and see their patients. And then they don't pay at you. They'll find a loophole to get out of it. And then you're left doing the same similar kind of pickle. So I was doing that for five, five days a week and then went to slowly whittled it down to four days a week. Um, felt a little bit better. And then just before COVID, I just had enough because it was just they, they'd do it often. They would get you in. They would book so many patients. I think one day I had 58 patients booked into my diary. I didn't get paid extra. I worked, I work on my, I used to work in, through my lunch. No one would do my referrals because it's something that we have to do or even support the fact that I've got these referrals built up. So working through my lunch was the norm. Um, I wouldn't leave on time ever. I would be getting out late and I wouldn't be getting anything paid extra to me. So I'll do a couple of hours a day extra without getting paid whatsoever because they were saying, well, you know, it is what it is. It's your, it's your diary got to manage it, but I wasn't allowed to because I'm a locum, I wasn't allowed to change my diary either. Even though it's my diary, I was forced to see the patients that I was forced to see. And that doesn't matter how many the numbers are. Like 58 patients, it just, it wasn't That's feasible. obscene. Of course it it's not. I mean, it, it's it's negligent towards the patient as much as it is mm. towards the dentist. You said to me, I understand why so many UK dentists leave to go to New Zealand and Australia. Mm, yeah, yeah. So this is it. So just before COVID, that was that was my plan. I was getting ready to leave because um, there's so many UK graduates and you, the, there's so many online reviews about how they're telling the truth about the UDA system, what actually made them leave the, the, the NHS and leave all their family and friends behind and go to a, a country that's not close by to um, what was the driving force. And they all go back to the UDA system and how it's such a flawed system and how they've what got What does UDA stand for? Units of dental activity. Right. Okay. You, you get a unit, you get a certain number of units um, per, depending on the banding charge. The banding charge is, the, is what the patient pays. And right. the patient assumes that, well, my dentist is getting all this. That doesn't work like that. The dentist doesn't get every single single amount that the patient pays. Um, it right. doesn't work like that. No, it's um, a bad system. And, it's, it's actually a bad system, is it? You eventually, though, after your burnout and you uh, uh, I don't mean this any bad way, you kind of pulled yourself together to a certain degree and you were forced to return to dentistry and you went private and you said to me, it's the best thing that could have happened. Why is that? Yeah, yeah. So I've got like time with my patients, which is why I went in there to do, you know, originally to be a dentist, I did work experience. And I was like, I really, I want to be a part of this to make a change to get people out of pain to really help them uh, with their oral environment. And um, basically in the private, you get the time, you're getting paid for the time. I'll, I'll, don't get me wrong, I'll still see patients if I feel like, oh, they've already paid me and um, there's there's still an issue, I won't charge them again. I'm also a fair dentist, like many of us out there. 
So it's not like the, they get charged for every single minute of your time. It's up to you. It's under, it's under your discretion whether you want to charge them and what you want to charge them. And the thing is, like, I have time now. I have allocated slots. I have more control over my diary. I see way less patients, but all my patients get a good quality of care. And hence their feedback is, is way more improved. I have certain patients that came over to private from NHS being let down for so many years. And now they're like, I don't, I wouldn't go back. Oh, I, the, the difference in the materials, I don't have any feelings falling out. Um, it's just like the quality of care is there. They get right. their they get our time, our undivided attention. I could do a filling and I could take a whole hour. The practice manager will not penalize me for it. And it, the, there's no uh, uh, authority over me. I am my own boss and I am my own clinician, not owned by the by the state almost. Right. Whereas the NHS dentists are treating it like people, humans, like a production line, right? So um, yeah, yeah, one of the things, yeah. it's awful. One of the things that you'd said to me yesterday, which really struck a chord because I'd actually uh, researched a, an article for the Daily Mail back in 2016, and it was to do with the EU dentist that we can't check up on. And the headline, if you want to read it, it's by Sophie Borland. I did the research. And the EU dentist we can't check up on, foreign practitioners are four times more likely to be struck off, but Brussels still bans crucial checks on their competence. And we were talking about that yesterday because one of the problems that you face as an NHS dentist and others, you weren't actually applauding them opening up this uh, NHS list mm. in Bristol, were you, for this very reason? Yeah, yeah, because it's just, I feel like with, with dentists, we all need to stick together, a bit like how the nurses come together. They do their strikes. There's so much support for one another. Understandably, they have a union, and I get how that works, but uh, dentists need to stick together if we're on it we need to be singing off the same hymn sheet so I, I I you know I understand that these two dentists opened up the Bristol practice however there's so many of other dentists that have been outdone by the system have had to leave the country have, have, have worked for free and under so much stress and the thing is like if we don't support one another nobody will support us but I feel like there's there's no unity amongst us we should be sticking together and um, right. we all do. Most of them, do, most of us, do say it's a flawed system. However, go you know going against the wind almost like an opening opening this practice. Well, you, what are you saying about the UDA system? You're pretty much saying that you 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 think it's it's okay, you know. Right. I and I understand. I, I compared it to, um, you know, having a, a British builder, but but they brought in a Polish builder because he's paid, you know, charges half the rate. It's kind of that thing. And I'm not suggesting, of course, <laughs> that the Bristol practice is full of um, practitioners from the EU who are subpar. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm simply saying what JD is saying is that actually what dentists need to do is rally together and say, we need a better NHS service rather than say, well, we're going to open up our list for the current service that's your criticism isn't it yeah yeah that that is my criticism that is yeah it's it's like with when when it did happen in the past the the the, the foreign dentist that they got in I would be put out of a job because being a UK dentist I wouldn't drop my rate because it's not worth me going out and putting myself under so much stress so they would try to drop drop my rate as a locum however and they would then get the cheaper dentists in and the amount that they were paying these cheaper dentists, I was just so surprised, so shocked. And they, these cheap, they they would accept, but then it had a knock on effect on 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 so many other aspects, like the amount of the amount of people suing and stuff like that. The 
the way our indemnity, you know, it, it went up, not even by a small amount, but that came out of my pocket. I didn't ask for these dentists to come in. And yeah, right, it's a risk right. that's going to happen again. Yeah. And it's actually a very serious risk. I don't know if people are actually aware of how serious it is, but um, the, the fact is that dentists from outside the EU must pass various tests before working in the UK. But Brussels actually bans rigorous language and skill tests on dentists from EUs. And in order to do this article, I was interviewing people who could barely say a word of English, but they were practicing dentistry in the UK. And it, like mm. you say, it's your indemnity because there was terrible things happening. One dentist actually removed teeth in a McDonald's because she didn't have a practice. So crazy stuff was happening, right? Mm. Taking place, absolutely crazy stuff. But as you say, you end up paying the price for that because it's your indemnity that shoots up. And what you said to me actually shocked me. You said you used to pay 3K a year and then it just, <clears throat> excuse me, shot up to 8,000 a year. Yeah, yeah. And because I was in contract, they did it mid contract, so you're kind of you have to pay it. And then when I, when I asked them that this isn't reflective of of where I am as a dentist, as as an ethical dentist, they they were like, well, you have to pay for all the others because we can't because obviously clearly they can't cope. You know, mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's that's fair because I had no. And even when I complained, I got nowhere. They were like, no, you have to pay. So it was a substantial amount to pay, and I I ended up paying for all their mistakes pretty much. You know, Absolutely just, outrageous. Um, so, JD, mm, are we yeah. in crisis? Is this a deliberate breaking down of the government? Is that what's going on here? Is this why our dentistry is in crisis? Yeah, I, th I think that I think it definitely is because we've been complaining. So, since two thousand and nine, dentists have been complaining about this new UDA system. Um, they've had ample amount of time to fix it and to 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 you know go back to what what it is that we're after. Um, it's not that we're saying get rid of the NHS system completely because it does suit it suits a lot of a lot of patients that can't afford um, can't pay up and need need to go down that path. But what we're saying is make it a fair system. The patients, I don't think the patients are aware about what it is that they are getting when they are under the NHS. You're getting a substandard type of dentistry. You're not getting the dentist full hundred percent concentration because it's not possible. You're getting substandard materials placed in your mouth, which aren't going to last. The longevity of those materials is absolutely appalling because it's all on a shoestring budget. We get in under the NHS, I used to make orders for certain materials. I used, they used to get declined. They used to say, "No, you get you get what you get." And you're not you're not allowed to order anything else because we're going over budget as a practice. Now this is so all what, coming from the budgeting, right? Hmm. What's I beg your yeah. pardon? What do you think about this twenty thousand pound incentive that the government is planning to pump in? Up to two hundred and forty dentists willing to relocate to dental deserts will also will be paid that twenty thousand golden hello. What do you think about that? I think it's I think it's absolutely shocking. I really am. Um, they've done it before. They gave incentives for these guys to come along to us in the past, and now they're doing it again. The only thing is, by making it very uh, public, um, they're basically making out that they actually care. I think it's it's very clever the way it's done. So a patient will see that and be uh, and probably assume that the dentists are getting paid a large amount and be be like happy that they you know that the government are making these big changes and they're willing to pay out for these changes. But in effect, you're not. You're not, they're not yeah. paying out. And the person that's actually going to end up paying out is the UK dentist, but we will probably leave. So I'm already yeah. looking at that, you know, because it's a changing environment. Even, you know, it'll have a knock on effect on the private dentists if this happens.
Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so loads of comments coming in, JD, as I thought there would be. I want to extend my thanks to you for being brave enough to step up to the plate. It is always difficult whistleblowing on one's own work, frankly. But but what you've done yeah. is, I think, opened a really vital, important conversation because so many people are in the dark about why this is happening. So I want to personally thank you. I know that our viewers will also thank you. Take excellent care thank of yourself. You. Everybody, this is JD. JD is a dentist and she has just told us exactly why NHS dentistry in the UK is failing. They are putting substandard materials in our mouth and this is not okay. Take good care of yourself, JD. This, thank everybody... You has been take care darling everybody this has been tuesday's version of uh, episode of sonia polton um the sonia polton show rather on today's news talk tnt stay with us we've got loads of brilliant programs coming up of course because as i say this is tnt you have a terrific day and i will see you tomorrow take care mm -hmm.